prayer. We've all heard of it, but do we really know what it is? Is it just talking to God? Is there a right and wrong way to pray? Are all prayers the same? We'll touch on these questions and more in this series entitled Prayer. Let's jump in. So we are continuing our study on the prayer series. And I would at this time like to welcome everyone who is joining us from Periscope. It's always a blessing to have you with us. And we're just going to continue right where we left off pretty much last week to give just a little bit of review, very, very little. Um, we ended with the fact that God has designed the system consisting of the world, mankind, the planet, actually the entire universe, really to operate a certain way. And God has built in certain laws to govern and control the system that he designed. Based upon that, God cannot do anything that violates the laws that he has in motion. If he did that, he would be violating himself and everything that he promised. Um, we read in Hebrews 6.18, 6, so you can jot that down because we did that last time, that it is really impossible for God to lie. And many of you already know that scripture. So it's Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and the 18th verse. And it states that it is impossible for God to lie. So you may be asking, what does any of this have to do with prayer, since we're actually studying the prayer series? Well, it's simple. <laughs> God has to be per given permission to work on our behalf in the earth realm. We give him that permission through prayer. Now I'm going to repeat that. God has to be given permission to work on our behalf in the earth realm. We give him that permission through prayer. Turn with me to Genesis 1. And we're going to look at verses 26 through 27. And let me know when you're there by saying that you're there. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. I mean, you all are just, now I know it's late, but I need you to work with me up here, okay? So you got to say something, because I will wait, okay? So just say amen, hi, hi, something, okay? Because I was like, it's the first book. Come on, everybody knows where it is. All right, good. Praise the Lord. So starting with the New King James Version, with verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, the wonderful thing is when we read this out of the Amplified, it started out with the first, with verse 26 saying, then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I remember saying to you last time, this is why, again, I read so many different translations, because if you're new to the word and you just read it out of the New King James where it said, let us, you don't necessarily know who us is. 
So the Amplified explains. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. So I'm not going to read that whole translation to you, but if you weren't here last week and you have not had the opportunity, read Genesis 1, 26 and 27 out of the Amplified. I promise you it will be worth your while. I am going to read it to you, however, out of the um, <laughs> New Living Translation, and you'll see why in a minute. But anyway, starting with verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry around along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Everything we've ever read and ever will read will tell you male and female, he created them. So there can be no confusion that male and female are part of mankind. One is not better than the other, okay? So that's important. Now, the reason I read the New Living Translation is because the New King James tells us that he gave us dominion over the fish of the sea, so forth and so on. And the New Living Translation is telling us that we are to reign over them. Now, when you think of royalty, that's when you think of reigning. So this is establishing that that's how God intended us to be from the very beginning, to reign over this earth. He gave us dominion. So you, we're all on the same page with that, right? Okay, praise the Lord. So with that being said, Genesis 1:26 states that he gave man Male, female, all of us, dominion. Dominion, however, we need to know what that means. It means control. It means rule. It means reign, authority, possession. So if man has been given control, who no longer has it? God, exactly. Notice God did not say let us share dominion with man. He specifically said let them, man, have dominion. So where is the dominion? Man has it and uses it over everything that is in the earth. So with that being said, God cannot come and pay my bills, no matter how much I would like for him to do it, so to speak, unless I let him by giving him permission to do so through prayer. So if you don't like wherever your life is, for whatever reason, at this point in time, you need to check your prayer life. Is God involved in what's going on in your life? Have you granted him permission through your prayer life? God has nothing to do, by the way, I want to be really clear on this. He has nothing to do with how messed up this world system is, okay? So please understand that. Okay, we are the ones who have been given control. Let me explain. When God gave man dominion, he did so through Adam and Eve. Now, we all know the story of how Adam committed high treason by eating the fruit that was forbidden. Everybody knows that. You, even non-Christians know that, okay? Adam disobeyed God. His act of disobedience, this sin, gave dominion to the devil. So Adam no longer had dominion over the earth. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verses 3 and 4. Thank you. I heard an amen. 
Okay, so I know somebody's there. Praise the Lord. Good. Okay, so starting with verse 3, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, if we read these verses out of the Amplified, it makes it a little bit clearer because it says, but even if our gospel is, in some sense, hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only to those who are perishing. Among them, the God of this world, Satan, so it's making it real clear, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then the last translation that I want you to hear is out of the Living Bible. And it says, if the good news we preach is hidden to anyone, it is hidden from the one who is on the road to eternal death. Satan, who is the god of this evil world, has made him blind, unable to see the glorious light of the gospel that is shining upon him, or to understand the amazing message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is God. Now, Satan is not the god of all ages, so let's be clear on that. But he is the god of this world. He is in control of the world system at the moment. This is exactly why the world is in such chaos. Now, we could go on with that, but I'm going to just leave it right there, because that could be why a lot of things are happening the way they're happening right now, many people would think. But I'm going to leave that for you all to you know, let that marinate. <laughs> so Adam represented all mankind. But God, who is so merciful and compassionate and kind, he saw our need and he sent his son, who became the last Adam. See, we use terms and a lot of times people don't understand what, they're, what they mean. Like, what is the last Adam? Okay, well, he took the place of all the mess that the first Adam did. That's why he is called the last Adam, because Jesus became a representative who acted on behalf of mankind. He was our solution. Praise the Lord. So now every man who accepts Jesus and accepts what he did for us and accepts God's plan becomes a son of God. Let's turn to Romans 8, and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Romans, the eighth chapter, verses 16 and 17. Oh, thank you so much. I truly appreciate that. Okay, so the New King James Version, starting with verse 16, says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now those same verses out of the Amplified says, the Spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we believers are children of God. 
Okay, I don't know why I have to say this, but I'm led to say it. A lot of times you will hear people all the time say, well, all of us are children of God because, you know, we are all, God made all of us. Okay, that is incorrect, okay? God created everyone, but you do not become his child or his heir until after you have accepted Jesus and you are then into the body of Christ, okay? So, you know, it's real important that people understand that. Just like if you have children of your own, they can come into your house, they have all the rights and privileges to go in and get a glass of water or whatever, you know, make themselves a sandwich, that's fine. But if somebody down the hall who you never met comes in, that's considered an intruder. Doesn't work because they don't have those rights and privileges. They are not your children, okay? So for whoever that was for, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, so picking up at verse 17, and if we are his children, then we are his heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance. If indeed we share in his suffering so that we may also share in his glory. Then the last one I'm gonna to read to you is the message because this just really breaks it down. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. So as a son and daughter of God, we have all of the rights and all of the privileges originally created for us back in Genesis 1.26. Oh, I love it. So our prayer, this is important, our prayer combined with our faith allows God to work in the circumstances of our lives. All we have to do is invite him into our situation, no matter what that situation is. I don't give a care what it is. All you have to do is invite him in through prayer and faith. We are then giving God permission and the opportunity to get involved in the earth realm on our behalf. Oh, it just doesn't get better than that. So let's walk through this scenario one more time because I want you to be extremely clear. God gave dominion to both Adam and his Eve wife, and his Eve wife, and his wife Eve. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So Adam and Eve have both been given dominion by God. We got that, right? Okay. Now the great deceiver or crook, or like I like to call him a con artist, <laughs> he came along offering his thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And he tricked through persuasion like a con artist. That's why I really like to call him a con artist. To get Eve to eat the forbidden fruit in the garden. Now, Eve, bless her little heart, she probably thought that she had done something good. I I'm just not going to believe that she just was that dense, <laughs> you know, so I'm gonna believe she thought she did something good. So therefore, she went and wanted to share it with Adam, her husband, thinking she had done well, okay? <sighs> okay, so she thought she did it. But here's the thing, and this is what we have to be very clear on. 
Eve was deceived, but Adam was disobedient. There is a big difference, okay? Turn with me to Genesis 2, the second chapter of Genesis, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 18. Thank you. Oh, you guys are getting good. Okay, good. So, because of time, I don't think I'm going to read all of this. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to read all of this because I'm going to get more done. So, here we go. When you get, follow along with me in the New King James Version because I'm sure that's the one you probably have. When you get the chance, read the easy-to-read version. I'm going to share it with you out of the amplified version tonight because I'm really trying to value our time. So the Amplified Version, starting with verse 15, says, So the Lord God took the man he had made and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely, unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree of the garden, but only from the tree of the knowledge Recognition of good and evil you shall not eat. Otherwise, on the day that you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. Now, I don't see how that can be any more clear. And we have to kind of check ourselves because the word is very clear to us with everything, yet and still we are, we can be, if we're not careful, as silly as Adam and end up doing things of disobedience because we don't follow exactly what the word says. And it was very clear here that he could eat everything else, just do not eat from this particular tree. But anyway, so verse 18, now the Lord God said, it is not good, beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, one who balances him. I love that. One who balances him. So ladies, we are to balance our husbands, not run over them and tell them what to do and try to run the house. It's another little sidebar. Okay. Okay. Um, I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complimentary for him. Now this I want you to really pay attention to. Notice that first Adam was given the direction or the command before Eve was ever brought on the scene, okay? So that confirms for any of those people who still want to talk about it, she wasn't even around, okay, when Adam was given the instruction. So therefore, he was clearly, clearly disobedient. Okay, now. <laughs> okay, so God, get, okay. And, of course, we already know it was his disobedience that turned the whole thing over to Satan. Now, these verses of scripture, I like this too. They're a perfect example of why you cannot read the Bible like a novel or a storybook. And I'll prove it to you. Genesis 1.26 stated that God gave dominion to man. And verse 27 states that he created male and female. He created them. Okay, we read all of that. Um, and the New Living Translation... I'm not going to read it to you. You guys already know that because we already did it. I'm not even going to read it. It's good out of the message in the New Living Translation. If you want to read it again, make yourselves a note because that breaks it down even more so. But here's the key I want you to see. In chapter 2, in a storybook, chapter 2 comes after chapter 1, right? If you're reading a storybook, chapter 2 comes after chapter 1. However, 
in the Bible, God's command to Adam alone occurs in chapter 2, which is an action that takes place prior to chapter 1. So, in other words, it's out of sequence. So it's out of sequence as we're accustomed to if we were going to read a storybook. So the point being is you cannot sit down and try to read the Bible like you would a novel and think it's going to make sense. That's the first thing. The second thing is that is why it is imperative that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking with other tongues so that you can rightly divide what it is that you're reading. Because if not, you'll sit there and you'll go, okay, well, it says this in verse 26. Then you get over here once. 26 says this and 2 says this and never even make the connection okay that one that what happened in verse 2 happened before what happened in verse 1 and you can't afford to do that if you want excellence now if you just want to you know hum along do what you want but if you if you want excellence we've got to do it the right way so the important thing that we can learn from this incident of what I just explained is that incident rather with Eve, is that the enemy remains what? He remains the great deceiver. He still tries to deceive each and every one of us today. Don't think that you ever get so scholarly or so erudite that he's not going to try to con you. That's his job. That is what he is going to do. And we have to be discerning regarding the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that are presented to us on a regular basis. Sometimes the enemy will use people closest to you. Don't get me wrong, they may not even realize that they're being used. We also have to remember that we live life on levels and we arrive in stages. And you're not going to always be on the same level or stage with someone else. So it is important that you realize that. And it's important because if you're not careful, you may share something with someone that you are believing God for. And the person does not share your same level of faith. And instead of standing strong with you until the victory manifests itself, they may start speaking unbelief or offering thoughts, ideas, and suggestions contrary to your faith. It can even be your spouse. It can even be your child. It can even be your parent. It could be somebody that's closest to you. So sometimes you do have to just set yourself in agreement with the word and the power of the Godhead that resides within you. With that being said, again, I reiterate that combining our prayer and faith allows God to work in our circumstances. Why? Because we have given him permission to get involved in this earth realm on our behalf. Think of it this way. We are in this three-dimensional earth realm. Our need or request is in the spirit realm. Now, we know that the two realms exist. We pray or communicate with God. When we do so, we unlock the door that connects the two realms, the spirit realm and the earth realm. Our faith is the currency that purchases our need or request, and our faith and our confessions of faith, the words that come out of our mouth, is what drives or brings the thing into the earth realm where we are. Amen. Since prayer is the key that unlocks the door by giving God permission and opportunity to operate on our behalf, 
We want to be certain that we're using it correctly. If you try to unlock the door with the wrong key, you're going to be kind of left outside in the cold, so to speak, okay? And your prayer just won't work. So with that being said, we're now going to go back to where we had touched on last week with number one, the prayer of agreement. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to look at chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Okay. Very good. You guys are getting better at this. I appreciate it. So starting with verse 19, in the New King James Version, it says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, the easy-to-read version cuts it down even more simple to me. And it says, to say it another way, if two of you on earth agree on anything you pray for, my Father in heaven will do what you ask. Yes, if two or three people are together believing in me, I am there with them. Notice believing in me. Belief is always the whole key. That, that's very, very, very important. If we look at it in the message, it says, take this most seriously. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal, and I always think on this. Whatever you say to your brothers and sisters in Christ is eternal. So if you are not saying something that's encouraging, if you're not saying something that's going to lift them up, understand you are going to be held accountable, number one, for what you've said, but you can change the quality of their life based on what it is that you've said. And it's not just your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's everybody. We need to start being a little bit more careful about running off at the mouth. Sometimes if you don't have anything good to say, don't speak. Just don't talk. Okay? And when you do speak, see, because once you really understand that the power of the Godhead resides in you, you begin to understand that when you speak, it is really powerful. Does anybody remember now, granted I'm a little bit older than some of you, so you... <laughs> This may really be dating me. There used to be a commercial that came on years ago for E.F. Hutton. And it said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. Well, guess what? When we speak, not only does everyone listen, but there is power in what it is that we've said and we give birth to the thing. So therefore, if you are not going to say something that you want to grow and give birth to, just don't talk. Okay? It's just better not to speak. So anyway, back to this. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, okay, so what you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. Now, the last one I'm going to read it to you is out of the Amplified, and it says, Again, I say to you that if two believers, now the reason I'm reading all these translations is because we're going to go back and you're going to see that the translations have provided for us requirements or qualifiers for this particular type of prayer. So I'm not just reading it because I don't have anything else to do. So again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree, that is, are of one mind in harmony. So in other words, if you're a believer, 
In this particular instance, well, in all instances, but this is making it clear, not only do you just have to be two believers, you've got to be of one mind and in harmony about anything that they ask within the will of God. Okay, so it's got to be within the will of God. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am there among them. So what are the qualifiers or requirements for this type of prayer? A, you need to be more than one person, okay, so that you are actually agreeing with somebody else. B, you must agree specifically on what you are praying about. We talked about this before. You can't be believing for somebody's healing and they're believing for a transplant, meaning in the sense that you may be believing for, and I shared that story with you about how I was believing for the total restoration and manifestation of a person's healing, but they were just believing for the phone call to get the organ for a transplant. So therefore, we were not on the same page. So you don't want to do that. You have to make sure that you guys are praying about the exact same thing. C, the request must be within the will of God his word. If you do not have any promise to stand on in the word, if it's not about his word, that's not going to work either, okay? It has to be within that, in the confines of his word. And the two people must be believers, okay? And that's important, okay? So if you're agreeing with somebody on your job and they are an atheist, okay, and you are a believer, you're wasting your time and theirs, it's never gonna work. Okay, or they don't even have to be an atheist. They could just be somebody that, you know, they just say, oh, come pray with me, pray for me. I mean, you can pray for them, but that's a different type of prayer which we're gonna get into later on in the series. Okay, but when it comes to the prayer of agreement, you need to both be believers if you're going to come together and agree. Because the prayer of agreement is designed to add to one's faith. It strengthens or adds power, if you will. Let's say that you, okay, I'm going to use, I'm going to combine this with an analogy that I used on Sunday. Let's say you're comfortably living wherever it is that you live. You praise God, you're very happy for where you are. And your boss calls you in one day and says, oh, you've just done such an extraordinary job. And in lieu of us giving you a Christmas bonus this year, we're going to give you the deed the title deed to a penthouse on Park Avenue. We want you to have that, okay? You're not gonna have to pay us anything, but here's the only caveat. You have to be out of your house, wherever it is you're living, out of your apartment within a week, which means you have to be packed up and you have to be totally out, ready to move into this penthouse on Park Avenue. Now, Unless you already live in a penthouse on Park Avenue, you probably would like that deal, would you not? Okay, I mean, hey, I don't even live here, and I would take it. Okay, well, I don't know about leaving my house. Yeah, I think I would. Okay, because so, I could always sell it if I want. I mean, all kinds of things. So it sounds like a good deal to me. All right. Here's the thing, you're all revved up now. You come home from work and you start packing. Okay, you're ready to hurry up and get out. Now here's the thing, as you're doing all this, you know the enemy, we already know he's there to kind of interfere. We already know this, right? So what happens? You get your stuff all packed up, you're all ready to go, and then they send you a notice telling you, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, in your current place, you live on the 20th floor. And I don't know why I have this thing for the 20th floor, but I always pick the 20th floor. So anyway, you live on the 20th floor. 
And the elevators are going to be serviced, so they're going to be inoperable. So you have to take a whole apartment full of furniture. And this apartment, in my analogy, is like three bedrooms, so it's a lot of stuff, okay? You have to take all of this stuff, and you've lived there for about 20 years, so I'm really piling up all the stuff now. I want you to really get this picture, okay? And they tell you that none of the elevators work, and you've got to walk all this stuff down the steps. Now, the enemy is constantly giving you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, reminding you how, oh, well, you're never going to get this penthouse on Park Avenue, because how are you going to get all these boxes and stuff down there? And even if you try calling a moving company because you think that's going to work, you can't get a moving company to come into Manhattan that fast to move you. So you have to figure out what to do. So you say, well... I'm going to call up all my brothers and sisters. I'm going to call my church family, and we're going to move this stuff. And they say to you, OK, we'll come help you. And they come in, they roll up their sleeves, and they cart all of these, this three-bedroom apartment down the steps so you can move into your penthouse on Park Avenue. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? I think it is. OK, well, the same principle applies when you're sitting in the doctor's office and you receive an evil report. And he states to you that you have stage four cancer and he only gives you a few months to live. Now you can stand on the word, you know that. And you can exercise your faith, which obviously is always a good thing. But now if you can add Elder Nate's faith to yours, and add Baltimore's faith to yours, and add Brother Wilson's faith to yours, and Margaret's faith to yours, and Minister Nadine's, and just go all around. If you can add all of our faith to your faith as you're standing there, okay, what does that do? It adds more strength to what it is that you're standing against. It's sort of like multiplication. 10 by itself equals 10, but 10 times 10 equals 100. So the last scenario is one that many of us can understand because Satan does have a tendency sometimes to attack us physically. It could be as simple as a cold, but he, he tries to do that. So in this instance, or any other one for that matter, the person or persons praying must be 100% on the same page at the same time when they pray for the prayer to be answered. And this is an excellent type of prayer actually for married couples. Generally speaking, they are on the same page about really all their circumstances or they should be. It's a very powerful tool for them to use. Still, though, they have to use caution because if agreeing for something, say, for instance, finances, they could be agreeing for a specific amount of money. Like they may be in agreement for, I don't know, $5,000. They say that that's what they're going to agree for. If they're not clear, here's where the challenge is. The husband may be agreeing because he wants to use that $5,000 to put in their retirement fund. He may see where this is a good investment for their future and their retirement, and that's what he's believing for. The wife could be believing for this vacation that she hasn't had in the last 10 years. You know, and she sees herself just, you know, relaxing. I mean, <laughs> She sees herself at the crane in Barbados with her feet kicked up. And with $5,000, she can actually eat out at night and just have herself a wonderful time. But that's not going to work because they're not agreeing. They're on two different pages. So it's very, very important, okay, that 
they remain in agreement on the same page. Now this also won't work if the wife is a Christian, but her husband hasn't yet accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Why? Because they're unequally yoked. And in this case, the husband does not have access to the kingdom. Amen. Now, I always have to talk a real quick minute. Oh my goodness, the time is fine. Okay, I have to add this in really fast about being unequally yoked. This is another one of those cute terms that's loosely used in Christianity. But people don't always understand it. Now, we do realize that when the Bible was written, they used things or terminology prevalent to that particular point in time. During that particular point in time, oxen were used. Well, oxen sometimes, well, I don't know. I guess they have machines for everything. I'm really bad. I don't know what the farmers and stuff do now. But I know back then they used oxen and stuff to plow the fields and do things. And they would usually put two together because, again, multiplication. You get more out of two than you do one. They would put a yoke around them because you want them to walk in harmony, okay, or the same so that they're doing everything together. Well, here's the thing. Whatever one did, the other needed to do. So what we need to know as believers, and this is really key, so please get this, and if you're on Periscope, please pay attention. When you are yoked to someone or something, you carry the burden of it. So if you yoke yourself to someone who is not a believer, you are going to carry all of their issues with you. You can't walk in the straight and narrow this way because you got all of their issues which may be sending you that way. That's why it's so important to be equally yoked. That's why when two people want to come together and get married, if you're not equally yoked, it is just you are making yourself so, you're making your life very difficult because you're going to be going in this direction opposed to be going that way. So that's what the key is for that, okay? Now we're on to number two. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is also known as the petition prayer, okay? This prayer, I just really want everybody to know, it's almost like it's the prayer of faith and you could call the petition faith their nickname or something if you want, because it's the same thing, it's the same prayer. This prayer is a petition or a request to God solely for yourself. You cannot pray a prayer of petition for someone else. In other words, if a husband wants his wife to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he cannot pray a petition prayer and think that that's going to work. It's not, okay? A petition prayer deals specifically with you and God, just you yourself. Turn with me to Mark 11, and we're going to look at verses 23 to 25. <clears throat> we're all very familiar with these scriptures. I know that to be a fact. So we're going to look at Mark 11, 23 to 25, starting with the New King James Version. Okay, I'm so proud of you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so starting with verse 23, it says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, and if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, 
that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now, the easy to read makes it even more simple. And it says, the truth is, you can say to this mountain, go, mountain, fall into the sea. And if you have no doubts in your mind and believe that you will, excuse me, and you have no doubts in your mind and believe that what you say will happen, then God will do it for you. So I tell you to ask for what you want in prayer. And if you believe that you have received those things, then they will be yours. When you are praying and you remember that you are angry with another person about something, forgive that person. Forgive them so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. And, oh man, boy, time, time, time. Okay, I got to do it though. All right, so reading it out of the Amplified. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart in God's unlimited power, but believes that what he says is going to take place, it will be done for him in accordance with God's will. For this reason, I am telling you whatever things you ask for in prayer, in accordance with God's will, believe with confident trust that you have received them and they will be given to you. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, drop the issue, let it go, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions and wrongdoings against him and others. And the last one I'm gonna read it out of is the message. And it says, Jesus was matter of fact. Embrace this God life, really embrace it, and nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. No shuffling or shilly-shallying, and it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life and you'll get God's everything. And when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your heavenly father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. I like that because again, it puts us in remembrance that we're to pray for everything. You know, for the simplest, smallest things. You may have needed to pray that your bus got there exactly at the time it got there. Or you could be like me, who I was running late one day and I needed to get here. And I actually prayed that the Lord would redeem the time, do something. So I made my train. And do you know, of course, he did. The train was four minutes late, so I was able to get on board. Okay? So the point is, pray for everything. Don't always pray for the big, you know, I mean, it's nice to have that apartment on Park Avenue. Okay, but you know, you might need to pray for something that's on, I don't know, 30th Street or something. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Start small and build up to the next thing. Okay, because God is faithful. He's always faithful. Now, Mark 11:24 is the main qualification in this type of prayer of faith. The main qualification in that it says, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Notice throughout every translation that I read to you, it states the word you. You is all through it because the prayer of faith, also known as the petition prayer, is directly linked to what? Your, you and your faith. Your belief system is the driver. 
in this instance. Your physical senses are totally out of play. Notice also in Mark 11:24 specifically states, believe that you receive what you pray for. It doesn't say anything about your intellect or understanding, how you may feel when you pray. So your tears and your sentiment, it means absolutely nothing, okay? It is just your belief system, your faith. So do not make the mistake that many Christians do and try to rationalize things mentally, okay? It does not work. For example, a person may say, how can I be healed when I still feel this pain in my back? Or how can I think my bills are going to be paid at the end of the month when my bank account only has $3.75 in it? For the first mistake in that last statement I just made is that the statement was going to be paid, okay? If you believe that you received it when you prayed, then you already have it. So you can't sit up and talk about what's going to be done. You have to act as if it's already been done, okay? So that, because Mark eleven twenty four states that when you pray, present tense, not what's going to happen in the future. In both instances, you're trying to figure it out using your senses, and that is just clearly not faith. Uh, here's something that I think is so interesting. All of us came up in these elevators tonight, correct? I mean, I don't think anybody just, okay. You got down there on the first floor in the lobby, you pressed the button, you got up here, you got off. If I were to sit up and ask you, how does that elevator work? When you push the button, exactly what happens? I mean, you can tell me, well, I don't know, there's some pulleys and it pulls up the car, but you can't really tell me. If I told you to go design another elevator for me, you couldn't do it. I, I mean, all things being equal. Now, somebody might be in here that can, and if you do, <laughs> praise the Lord. Okay, but me, I pushed the button, and I believed I was getting off on the sixth floor. That's all I knew, and that's what most of you knew, too. Okay, now, if we can get, and we remember on 96th Street, that was not always the case. Okay, <laughs> so, so now, if we can do that, why is it that we can't, Open up the word and trust God to do what he said he was going to do. If we push a button and believe it's going to get us up to the sixth floor. I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, doesn't matter what I understand. I do understand. My time is up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Praise the Lord. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.